Impress your friends, amaze your coworkers, make your family proud. Here's what you need to know. I'm going to tell you what you need to know. Fourth quarter of the program begins right now. Finishing strong here on a sunny Wednesday. Enjoy the warm weather. Uh, it's nice to get a little sunshine, a little warmth uh, going on here. Time for our... 60 right now. Are you kidding me? That's pretty good. You know, I don't know if you know that, but that's pretty good. It's above average. Uh, solid. 63 uh, tomorrow. This was a drinking on the roof day in college. Drinking on the roof. Yeah, yeah. You get a nice a nice surprise spring-like day in the middle of the winter. You hop on the roof, have a couple beers. Okay. Can't beat it. I'll take it. Uh, our Need to Know is brought to you by Hen House. Uh, henhouse.com to see all their great specials. Every week they get great specials. And order your romantic Valentine's Day dinner for two for just forty nine ninety nine. dollars uh, You get an appetizer, a salad, two entrees, two side dishes, two desserts, a crusty French baguette, and a Single red rose, uh, whether you want the uh, herbs de Provence, turkey breast, the boneless prime rib with horseradish sauce, uh, sauce the uh, mustard encrusted salmon, a uh, wonderful uh, dinner for two. Uh, you can get it right now. Go to henhouse.com and put your order in. And don't forget about all their wonderful party trays for your big watch party for the big game. Uh, the boneless buffalo wing tray, my favorite. Strong. Uh, that and the sushi tray. Yeah, uh, they got great sushi uh, there at the uh, Hen House. So go to henhouse.com. Put your order in for that as well. Let's start with a little Chiefs news. Finally, somebody is saying, hmm, maybe that front office has an idea about what they're doing. Today, the Carolina Panthers named former Chiefs executive Brant Tillis as their new vice president of football operations. Tillis's role with the Chiefs consisted of salary cap and contract management. He now takes on more duties and I'm yep. sure gets a, a big fat raise. Yeah. Uh, congratulations to him. Yep. You would think at some point they would, uh, with all the great roster construction that Brett Veach and his staff has done, they might start taking some of his staff. They did take Ryan Poles, mm-hmm. uh, hired as the uh, Bears uh, general manager. But it had been a little while, and you'd be surprised that this didn't come quicker. Absolutely. It's, it's, uh, it's kind of been out there for a while. And as soon as we saw it, we thought, oh, wow. That's... We've been thinking every year, every year, still there, still there. Someone finally wised up. Well, Tillis obviously uh, knew a little bit of something about what he was doing when you consider that they had the most expensive quarterback ever to win a championship. And, oh, by the way, they're back in the Super Bowl yeah. again. So clearly the contracts and the cap has been managed pretty well. First and second highest cap hits. Yeah. Back-to-back years to quarterback position, back-to-back Super Bowls. Yeah, pretty so, good. So uh, congratulations to uh, Brant Tillis. Um, and um, one other NFL nugget for you. The Seahawks have hired uh, Ravens defensive coordinator Mike McDonald as their new head coach. Got any details on the uh, Not on the number, uh, not on the, uh, the money, but uh, Adam Schefter reports it as a six-year deal. Six-year deal. All right, so... Uh, Mike McDonald had a hell of a second half against the Chiefs, but... To me, your problem in Seattle is offense. You go from one defensive guy to another defensive yeah. guy. I'm not, I'm not sure about this one. And I don't know what Ben Johnson was asking, but allegedly the problem with Ben Johnson that a lot of teams felt he was asking too much, he's an offensive coach, and if you think, I mean, you're a freaking money-printing machine. I feel like if you really think you've got your guy, as important as a head coach is in the NFL, pay him. Yeah. Right? Well, I mean, like, look, maybe his number was freak show. Maybe 30 million bucks a year. I don't know. But if, if he was within the ballpark of what you pay an NFL coach. Yeah. 
And we talked about, you know, the, the value and, and what, what it takes to go to a certain job. I'm sure the Panthers, the two, the two jobs that are out there the, were the Panthers and the Commanders. Hist- recent history, not necessarily the strongest uh, organizations of the Washington, you'd like to think, is, is round of the corner a little bit. Maybe it took a little bit of, uh, not the Panthers, um, the Seahawks, sorry. I, I, I got down the road and realized I had the wrong team. But what, I don't know why you wouldn't just pay it. I mean, I, I can't imagine Ben Johnson was asking that much money. You mean for the commanders? For, for the commanders. Yeah. It just... That's the guy, and we, we've talked about the the, the the trend toward offense and why people would hire DCs, defensive a guys. A lot of defensive Raheem guys Morris, got hired this time. Gerard Mayo, Mike McDonald. So there were what eight? And the Carolina guy, a defensive um, guy too. Dave Canales. Uh, let me see. Did he? No, he was an off. He was the OC at Tampa oh, that's Bay. That's right. That's right. But that's they, they keep hiring him. Well, it, with Washington, I'll say this: maybe they're going to learn the hard way. Maybe this guy will be a success, but maybe they're going to learn the hard way. Because there are a bunch of very successful businessmen who just bought Washington, but he's, he doesn't As have opposed any... to the total life failures that no, usually but, buy NFL No, I, I should have, before I made that pause, I should have furthered my point. He he wasn't the New Jersey Devils and Sixers guy, was he? Yeah, he owns. Well, hell, then that goes my theory. I was thinking if it's a business guy who hasn't yet had a bunch of experience in sports and is just looking at numbers and thinks, why would I pay an employee that much? But this guy's already owned a bunch of sports teams, so to hell with my theory. Yeah. Uh, Mizzou is a five-and-a-half-point favorite tonight against Arkansas. One conference win for the Razorbacks. None for the Missouri Tigers. Where's your confidence, mm. Curtis Hebel? Actually, um, not bad. Uh, I, th- I think, um, no. Yeah, I'll, I'll take it. I'll, five and I'll, a half is a big number for I'll a team rise up. zero wins in conference. To be it right. is, and the fact that it's five and a half with with this number tells me Vegas they, knows something. That's where I, I'm I at. Think, I think I think Mizzou. I'll call it double I, digits. I think Arkansas must be a white yes. hot mess. I mean, yeah. I saw them kind of hang around. Was it with Alabama the other night? I can't remember who it was. They were there was like eight mm-hmm. or nine with two to go, and they were trying to do the foul thing. And I'm like, God bless. It got bad fast at Arkansas. Yeah. You think Musselman gets old? And with it, and it, like and he never saw it in Nevada because he got out in four years. He got the Arkansas job kind of quick. He had to be doing the uh, Buzz, uh, Buzz Buzz Williams. Buzz Williams. Yeah, Marquette guy. Yeah. It, it could just be that he. I mean, because he was great. Marquette, Virginia Tech, A and M. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's 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 mm-hmm. got the leave with the shot clock ticking down, and I, thing I, down pat. I wonder if Musselman. There's an element of. He comes in, he re-energizes everything. He's a three seed. He's a four seed. Last year, an eight seed, but they upset Kansas. I think the only the team that finally got him out was the UConn, who won the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So they were a tough out once they got there. But I do wonder if there's an element of if you look at his regular seasons, if there's like, dude, the shtick's old. He looks like he could be. He could be a guy who could probably grind on you a little bit. Well, he doesn't strike me as the kind of guy that's going to leave, you know, right. to reset the shot clock. I agree with that. You don't take your shirt off and jump up on a table <laughs> and beat your chest after a big win. Yeah. If you think, like, if it's going wrong, he strikes me as the guy who's like, well, it ain't my fault. Yeah. But that, that same personality could be the one that drives away yeah. maybe maybe prospective recruits. But just, boy, just won't take no for an answer. Ta- won't accept failure. Just going to keep working at it. Like He's not the kind of guy to be like, hey, yeah, I'm going I'm to duck out and take a paycheck over here. Yeah. The, the top the top guys that go to – kids that go to college, they all want to go to the league. And to have a guy who was, has NBA pedigree and is winning 
yeah. at, at a high level at an SEC school. I would have thought once he that was he was good. That seemed to be up and running for a while, and I'm stunned that he's he is. Eight, no, he's nine and sixteen since the beginning of last year in conference. That's amazing. Who's the best ever at tapping out and going to what appeared to be a job that was maybe slightly down? Like I'll give you an example of a guy who hasn't hit, but Travis Ford. Tapping mm-hmm. out at Oklahoma State. He didn't get fired at Oklahoma State, right? He left. He was probably going to get fired, yeah. but technically Slough. I believe he left and went to SLU. He hasn't turned SLU around. Who made a move like that and has been a big hit? Well, he hasn't right done it multiple hand. times. Well, no, no. Uh, what's his I name? I can think from? of two. Rick hmm. Barnes got fired, didn't he? He got fired at So Texas. never mind, yeah. I. Um, and you're talking guys who've, who've done that and then been successful at their next yeah. stop? That ended up being a really good decision. Shaka you got, Smart. Who? Shaka Smart. Yeah, Texas. Uh, Shaka Smart leaving Texas for Marquette so far. That's pretty good. That wasn't who I was thinking of. Worked out for him. I was thinking of two. First, um, uh, the guy who left Iowa State for Creighton. Oh, uh, yeah, McDermott. Doug McDermott. Doug McDermott. Like, he was pretty good at Iowa State, but, like, they weren't happy. He's like, okay, I'm out. Been very happy. Creighton's been very happy with what he's done. He was, was yeah. the Elite Eight last year, yeah. right? Yep. Yeah. Was in yeah. the Elite Eight last year. Yeah. Yeah. He was yeah, in the Elite was, Eight last yeah. year. And then the other one also went through Creighton, Dane Altman. Left K-State, went to Creighton, mm-hmm. redid his yeah. career, and then now has been at Oregon. Well, And, all, uh, and went yeah. to a Final Four in yep. Oregon. Lon Kruger, did he? He made a stop in the NBA, though, didn't he? He left K State for Illinois. He didn't go down. I thought, okay, then never mind. I thought he took a different right. Wouldn't it? or no, yeah, Florida, K State for Florida. K State, Florida, Illinois, Hawks, mm-hmm. and then Oklahoma. OU. Okay, yeah. so. Anyway, five-and-a-half-point favorite uh, are the uh, Missouri Tigers. Dennis Gates uh, talked about what his team needs to do to win tonight. we got to do those small things. You can't win the game at the jump ball uh, in the center court once the game starts, but you got to consistently do those things over the duration of a game that allows you to uh, end up on top. We can't have those fouls that are 95 feet away from the basket, but it counts against us, whether it's putting them on the line for the double bonus or just a bonus, and it gets gets them an opportunity to be more aggressive than our half-court defense. And we don't want to put ourselves in that situation so we got to do a better job and containing the dribble contesting shots without fouling uh, but also being able to execute what we need to execute free throw blockouts uh, things like that the small small things they all add up and we have to play a complete game from the beginning to the end long list yeah and none of which have been done to this point yeah uh we'll see five and a half point favorites tonight against arkansas uh that game you can see on the sec network uh jerome tang coming off a 20 point beat down at the hands of the oklahoma sooners uh there at the octagon of doom 73 53 oh you got the win tang talking after the game uh discussing what was i'm sure a very bitter pill uh he uh, he talked to the fans immediately following first of all, i want to thank our fans uh they were incredible tonight um they they brought energy they gave us a chance um apologize that i didn't have our guys ready to play this is not on them this is on me and uh we will do a better job you good with that sure yeah quite frank Okay. Put it on himself to the point. I do like that. I mean, he, earlier in the season, he was asking for more fans, and 
He's acknowledging. Well, that, that's what I, I'm glad you brought that up, Craig, because that's what that's I heard. It's like point. he chastised the fans for not being there early on. Is now is he going like? Uh, well, I wonder if if you want to say, "Ooh, I'm, I'm feeling it," because now we're having a bad season. But I also, you could also say, "Well, no, he's." He's acknowledging they have answered my call, and I want to acknowledge my, my appreciation. Yeah. But there is a part of me that's also like, <laughs> I'm, I, I can't talk about the what, uh, Leipold. I can't talk about the facilities at Iowa State now because we're six and five, yeah. not six and zero. Oh. Yeah, thirty uh, percent from the field. The K State Wildcats were was it sixteen percent or fourteen percent uh, from three point range? When it's that bad, I want to bring up fourteen percent. Four of twenty eight uh, from three point range were the K State Wildcats. Tang uh, was asked why the offense struggled so. I don't know. I have to go back and look at film and uh, see if there's something there. I actually was. I mean, even though we hadn't scored. It was nine nothing or seven nothing, whatever. And to me, you thought we were playing with good energy and we got good looks and we didn't turn the ball over. So I mean, that was the positive. And like normally in the first media, we usually have three turnovers. You know, and we're talking about guys that get shot up, but we were actually getting shots up. So I really wasn't as concerned. Um, but I will go back and look at, at all three games and figure out if there's something that we need to do differently. Okay. Besides hit shots. Um, Will McNair uh, has been uh, averaging over 22 minutes a game. That is good for fifth most on the team. He only played 10 minutes last night. Tang was asked why. I just didn't think Will was locked in. Um, you know, yeah, Will, Will, Will wasn't with us tonight. So, But I, it's not Will's fault. That's, that's my fault, right? I, I didn't have these dudes ready, right? Uh, um this one, and I, I mean, I'm not going to go into details, but this one falls on me, right? But it, it won't happen again. I think at Oklahoma State on Saturday, you would hope it wouldn't happen again. Then three more ranked teams, KU uh, on the 5th, uh, at BYU on the 10th, and TCU uh, on the 17th. So uh, he was asked, does he feel like this season's getting away? Uh, okay, well, first of all, things are not getting away from us. Right, we're four and four in the best league in America, right? And I've said from the very beginning of the year, like when this whole thing, like you get nine wins in this league, you go into the NCAA tournament. Okay, so uh, nothing has changed for us, right? It's just the order in which things happen. Sometimes people make a bigger deal out of it than needs to be. Okay, and so eleven teams in our league lost back-to-back games uh, that that were played on the road. Six of them that were consecutive on the road. So that. I mean, it happens, okay, and um, it's it's usually hard to beat teams on their home court, and our fans did a great job of giving us a chance, and this might have been just a second game at home where, like, we just didn't deliver offensively, you know, and, and, and give OU credit for that, right, because, I mean, they've lost three really close games where they had the lead and then end up giving it up on their home court, all right, and so, I mean, they had a greater sense of urgency in – on the defensive end um, for for their attack of us. And we didn't – I didn't have our guys as prepared for um, what they face. They, and part of that is they have to make shots, but part of that is I have to do a better job. 
Yeah. I mean, he's taking it all on himself. We'll see. I, I would tend to disagree. I do feel like it's getting away. And this could snowball. They better get it done against Oklahoma State, and they better find one win against those three ranked teams. Uh, Kansas Jayhawks in action last night, 83-54 winners. Uh, no let up out of this team. They led by 18 at the half on a 14-and-a-half-point spread and then won the second half by 11. Again, they win by 29 in this one. Bill Self uh, on the postgame show said his team did a lot of good things. We played well. We shared it. Uh, we made some mistakes defensively uh, uh, that they made us pay for a few times, and then also we got away with it, which we got to improve on. And, and uh, yeah, I, I thought the ball moved. We shared it, and the the, the uh, shot distribution was very equal, especially the first half. I think everybody took between four and seven shots, and makes you hard to guard when you're balanced, and, and we were certainly that tonight. Um, they were balanced. They were balanced without uh, McCuller as well. He did not play uh, in this game. The Jayhawks getting uh, contributions from Timberlake and uh, Jackson. Jackson going back into the starting lineup. He had 10. Timberlake had 7, albeit on just 2 of 8 shooting. Uh, Jackson, 2 for 2. Uh, Marco Jackson, 2 for 2 from 3-point range. 4 for 8 uh, from the field. So uh, did not need uh, much more help, but maybe that will help their yep. bench moving forward. Uh, why was McCuller out? Self was asked about the injury. I think that if it was uh, 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 the end of the season, I think he would have played. But I didn't, I didn't think it was the right thing to do to play him, and, and he didn't think it was either. So, so uh, it was uh, uh, good that that uh, he was able to rest it, and, and we were, were able to get by with it. I was really concerned because, as as, as everyone knows, you know, we're removing twenty points from our lineup. And, you know, who's going to step up based on production? And we had a lot of guys step up tonight. So all signs point to him playing on Saturday? Uh, I, I can't answer that, but I would say uh, 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 I think that he'll do whatever he has to do treatment-wise to make sure that, that uh, 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 he does play. And structurally, there's not a uh, – we don't think there's any issues. We, we, it's, it's, a, it's a bone bruise. Bone bruise. Saturday is uh, Houston coming to town, uh, number four in the country, uh, 3 o'clock on ESPN. So – if they're going to win the league, you don't want to go down two games to no. Houston now. No, and losing on their on your home court, big one. Yeah, because you've got to go back down to Houston at the end of the year. Funny how that works out. Hmm. They got the big boys playing uh, twice in this one. Uh, all right, uh, we will take a break. When we come back. We'll talk about the uh, Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, get the film review from Seth Kaiser, the Chief of the North newsletter, author of the Chief of the North newsletter. Uh, we'll break down the tape with Seth next here in the program. He's a pastor who likes the passing game, an attorney who enjoys play action more than class action. And he loves to watch Chiefs game tape for hours and hours and hours. He's Seth Kaiser of The Athletic on the program. Let's break down the tape with Seth Kaiser from the Chief in the North newsletter. He's brought to you by our friends at the University of Kansas Health System. Uh, if you have an injury, whether it occurred in everyday life or playing sports, uh, the University of Kansas Health System offers orthopedic walk-in care. 435 and all is where they're located in Overland Park. Weekdays 8 to 7, Saturdays 8 to 2. You can learn more right now at kansashealthsystem.com slash orthopedics. Uh, Seth, thanks for the time. How are you, my friend? I am just doing terrific, my friend. How are you? Uh, great. Another Super Bowl uh, for the Kansas City Chiefs. When did you think that uh, this was possible? Did you think that there was a time where they 
couldn't win it. I had one game to go. I made the statement I may still end up being right, that I don't think this team's good enough to win four playoff games against four playoff caliber opponents, which is, of course, what they were going to have to do once they were out of the one seed. Uh, I now think they can definitely do it, right, because they're all the way here. Uh, so I would say right. it's right now, for me, that is the first time that I think that they can do it. When, when did you start to believe that this team had it going again and could win it? You know, one of the, the funny thing is after the, uh, I think it was actually before the debacle against the Raiders, I wrote about like the five stages of being a Chiefs fan yep. in 2023. I think it was after the Eagles lost because that one was just rough. Um, and one of the things that I wrote there is that they've got a great defense and they've got Patrick Mahomes and they'll be in the playoffs. And what I needed to accept to not lose my mind the rest of the season was this is not, from all appearances, a great team. But it's a decent team with Patrick Mahomes and a good defense, and which means you'll have a puncher's chance. And that so I always believed in that puncher's chance. Now the Raiders lost was like more like a haymaker's chance, right? This is like uh, George Foreman winning the heavyweight title back when he was like in his 40s or whatever, right? There's always a chance you land that shot. Um, when I started to believe that it was not just a puncher's chance, but even like, oh, they've got a decent shot at this, was after the the entirety of the Miami game and seeing the offense continue to trim down, cut down on mistakes, like do all the things they said they were going to do all year. Right, and then seeing them do it in a tough environment with the you know the cold and et cetera et cetera, and just how good the defense was, that's when I started to really believe. You know what? I think they got a shot at this, and the Bills game just helped solidify that. Uh, that's a great point. What what did they do on offense that was so successful for two drives, and then what did the Ravens do to make it now not successful? You know. I saw, and, and I haven't finished charting Mahomes' snaps. I've, I've largely focused on the defense because they were so dominant. One thing that I just really liked what they did, they they, they did a few times. They, they isolated Kelsey. They took advantage almost any time the Ravens played man coverage. Um, and you didn't see the Ravens necessarily isolate Kelsey in man coverage for a lot of the rest of the game. That's why you saw like Kyle Hamilton blitzing later because they were no longer putting him in man coverage on Travis Kelsey, which is hilarious that at 34 years old, he took one of the best safeties in the league and they said, okay, well, we can't use him that way. Fair enough. Um, they did a good job with that. They were able to run the ball just a little bit more successfully, and the Ravens did a terrific job shutting that down. And they, by and large, kept themselves out of situations where the Ravens could run successful blitz or sim pressures by having some success on earlier downs. And then, so once they built up that lead, and it's worth noting, they were a player two away, a goofy player two away, from, and not like just Baltimore making a good play, right? From potentially making it go from, you know, that 17 7 gap to 24 7 or 27 7 or whatever, right? And we might not even be talking about it. So, like the, exa- the big example, the Rasheed Rice, that's not a hold. What Trey Smith did, you see that on screens all the time. That should have been a touchdown. And so that's part of what just kind of held back the actual production. Once they got up two scores, what I saw is they did have some shot plays called, but you could tell they were very willing to not 
go for it. All the lip service we've seen to them saying, you know, Mahomes saying, i got to learn to play a different way, i got to understand that I can trust my defense, all that stuff, it genuinely looked like it was more than lip service because there was at least one time in the second half where he had MVS deep, who it was, it was against man coverage, single high, safety wasn't in position, and he could have tried to go for it over the top, and instead he checked down, gave his guy a chance to beat a tackle. The guy couldn't because the Ravens are a good tackling team, and, and it didn't go anywhere. It looked to me like a conscious decision, not just by Reed, because people talk about the play calls. It looked like a conscious decision by Mahomes a couple times not to take shots that I think he would have if the game were a one-score game. And I think the Ravens also did a really good job taking away a couple of their design shot plays that they did dial up, and they were just covered. Yeah, I, I am a big believer that game manager is not a negative term for a quarterback. In fact, all great quarterbacks are game managers first, and then there may be a playmaker after that. Uh, but you have to be able to manage the game, and this was Patrick Mahomes' finest hour as a game manager taking sacks late to keep the clock going, throwing the ball away to not lose yards earlier. I mean, it was a magnificently brilliant performance by a guy. It was guerrilla warfare. I can't just go out and overwhelm the opposition with a superior army. We're going to have to hit when we can and then get out. And, you know, that's a style of football he hasn't had to play till now. It's a style that Tom Brady played in 18, probably their worst addition as a team to win a championship. And he embraced that and and did it brilliantly. Did did the tape show the same thing? Yes. Um, you know, overall, like, I mean, even as we're talking, I'm looking at some of his, uh, some of his second half snaps just to kind of refresh me on a few of these things, like that, that dart to Justin Watson on third down to keep a drive going at a time where they really kind of needed to sustain it just to kind of keep the pressure on Baltimore. They really, the idea of being a game manager, I think if people should really understand what game manager should mean. It means managing the game. So really, a game manager should, you know, like let's say a game needs to be managed. Sometimes when you're a manager, you just got to get in there and do it yourself, right? Something needs to get done. There's no time. I'm just going to do it myself. So in a way, his playmaking ability could fall under game management. It's just this is the time. Oh, I got to put on my Superman cape. Fair enough. I'll manage that. Oh, now I don't need to? Okay, I'll put the Superman cape away and, and, and play a few smart downs and just not take any risks whatsoever. And you can see the difference. Both Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson, in back-to-back weeks, made some crucial mistakes in the second half that Mahomes didn't make. And that was – it was such a great thing. I think it was uh, Robert Mays with, with The Athletic. Um, he, he tweeted out that, that Josh Allen was brilliant, that Mahomes was flawless. You and I talked about that a little bit and that distinction there. Being able to play flawless football when you've got a defense like this and you've got Spags three steps ahead of, of the Ravens, I think that's a good thing. It's just about knowing when you should go for it when you shouldn't. And part of it, really, the Ravens, by and large, played great defense in the second half. They swarmed to the ball. They stuffed the run so the Chiefs couldn't really get anything going there with play action. They covered guys well. It just really – they really didn't live up to their billing. McDonald made a few adjustments in terms of how they were playing their zones, and they just made it a lot tougher for them to move the ball without taking risks. I think if the Ravens had scored a touchdown, you would have seen the offense do something a little bit differently, but they knew they didn't have to, and I think that's so crucial, kind of feeling the game, as it were. 
Yeah, no, and he, uh, he feels the entire game. He he manages though. He understands everything that's going on. He knows clock. He knows field position. His spatial awareness is there. Like nobody, you know, he sits there. Sometimes you see him. We, we don't see as many him and Andy Reid going through everything. You know, the quick quick uh, crash course and what the defense is doing. And he's just sitting there with the mouthpiece halfway out, Steph Curry style. And but he's soaking in everything that's going on. He literally you know, is in command of everything that's happening on the field. And it's what helps him with the risk reward on every decision he makes. He seems to do that better than, you know, anyone I've ever seen, certainly with some level of athleticism. He's not the athlete that, you know, Michael Vick is or, you know, some other guys, maybe even Steve Young. But, like, he's got – Tom Brady had to have all that. He has all that plus the athleticism. I mean, he's just completely aware of every level of the game that's being played. And that, that helps him make all the – right decisions absolutely um i really like that um you know one way that i've heard it phrased this week is that mahomes if he has to be peyton manning one snap and then you know aaron Rodgers the next snap and some version of lamar jackson the next snap and some version of brady the next snap he really will do whatever it's kind of like I, I, I joke around with people that, like, Mahomes is what happens if you get, like, the pre-snap readability of Alex Smith with the post-snap readability of Peyton Manning with the willingness to throw from the pocket of, let's say, Kirk Cousins. We'll just throw, we're just throwing names out there, right, guys that are really good at one thing with the escapability and playmaking of, of Josh Allen, and it's all combined into one dude, and he just morphs into whatever's needed snap by snap. He's going to make mistakes like anyone else. But that ability to do whatever the game requires is just so perfect. And it's also worth noting that one reason they didn't score in the second half was one of the few times they had a mistake hold them back. They were on Baltimore's 43. They were moving. Taylor picked up a holding penalty, and that set them back, and they couldn't recover. But Mahomes, he really, they had control over that game. I honestly, the entire second half, was not stressed out about that game. The closest I came was right before LeJarrius Sneed punched the ball out. But overall, I, I fully expected the Chiefs to score if the Ravens scored there. You thought they had whatever it would take uh, to go get a uh, to go get a score if they had to have one. I, I think so. Yeah, like it was just they, they just seemed you could see, and it's hard to describe. Part of it's just feel. Maybe it was just the return of that inevitability that we felt like Mahomes has had now for the last like four years. Where like when they when the clock hits zero and they've actually lost, you're like shocked. And they, that kind of got beaten out of us a little bit this year because of all the struggles that they had and him being visibly frustrated on the field. But this game, and I think Buffalo, Miami helped with it. Buffalo completely solidified it. Because any time they needed to score against Buffalo, they scored a touchdown, right? It wasn't even like a field goal. Like any time they absolutely needed to score, they scored. And then the way they opened up against Baltimore, it just felt like it, that inevitability really felt the same. And you could see the coaching edges out there on the field. And that just gave me a level of confidence that, that whatever they needed to do, they would. Yeah, what 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 made Kelsey so effective? <laughs> you know, some of it honestly was just I think I think there's a reason he was so effective the first couple drives in particular. Um I think we talked about this a little bit last week that sometimes when you've got teams with great linebackers and great safeties, the Chiefs if it's a team they haven't played in a hot minute 
might have a bit of an advantage because they're a team that says, well, hey, we've got great guys. We're not necessarily going to change up what we do just because you have Travis Kelsey. And that, that'll bite teams because he's not a normal player. He's not even a normal great player, right? You have to adjust what you do against the Chiefs. And so I think that was part of it is that they, they're a great defense, really well coached, good secondary guys, especially in the middle of the field who fly all over the field. But I just don't think they adjusted themselves enough to who Travis Kelsey is until it was basically too late. Do you see them putting, you know, teams putting a lot more attention towards Rashi Rice and less on Travis Kelsey if they decided that, hey, we were watching Rice carve these teams up, we got to slow him down, and is that part of what's opening up Travis Kelsey? I did notice that Baltimore wasn't haloing Kelsey as much as what we're used to, and that's a really good point that, frankly, I hadn't even considered until right this second, even though we talked about it last week. It's... You only have so many defenders to dedicate to certain things because you got to watch out for Mahomes. Like when it's a pass play, you got to watch out for Mahomes' scrambling. You have to. Someone's got to be dedicated to that. you got to halo Kelsey. And that really doesn't leave a lot left to halo anyone else, especially now that the Chiefs have become comfortable taking short yardage plays. And so I do think part of the reason they didn't have as much attention dedicated to Kelsey is because they're trying to keep it evenly dispersed across the field and make sure they can try to contain Rice if he catches the ball short, which they didn't always even do a good job of that, honestly. Yeah, no, I, 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 I agree. And, you know, I, I think that um, the, the fact that we know the Chiefs have gotten rid of the Kadarius Tony element, and so they're just focusing on the guys that can actually catch the football. Do you have a fear that they run out of stuff? Right by not having Andy Reid obviously likes to throw the ball to ten guys for some reason. He wants you to have to defend everyone and spread you out. Do we worry that you know because he's had to kind of scale back and just really focus on a couple of receivers and then with the change up Marquez Valdez Scantling? Do we worry that he runs out of you know the good plays uh, against the Forty ers I don't, um, and the big reason is. They really needed to get through like a four or five game stretch of narrowing it down like this, right? And you can get away with that for a four or five game stretch when you have like a 20,000 page playbook. I, I might be exaggerating a bit, but Andy has all sorts of stuff in his bag. And the great thing about how deep his playbook is, is while they, they do have at least a guy or two that they trust for steamed up stuff. Right? So you can dedicate a couple of targets to Noah Gray. Right? You can dedicate a couple targets, apparently, to a guy that even I was willing to write off in Marquez Valdez Scandling. You can, you can give him a couple of deep shots and take one or two of them. And in the playoffs, that's paid off big. You can do that with Justin Watson, like on a crucial third down. It was kind of funny. I, what I said to someone on Twitter during the game was all they need is about 50 to 75 yards on like seven or eight relatively important plays from the other guys. That's it. If you do that, then you can get enough from Rice, Kelsey, and Pacheco. And I think we saw just 
so much how how much it how much the offense looked worse when Pacheco was banged up or sitting out, and Kelsey, who I think has been struggling with at least some physical ailments all year, and Rasheed Rice not really integrated into the offense yet. That we've really forgotten that honestly, a really good running back, a great tight end, and a good wide receiver. That's a really good start for an offense if you can just get a, a role player or two to contribute just a little bit. And so I think they've got just enough in Noah Gray, in Justin Watson, in MBS, that if you can just get a play or two out of them, that's enough. Yeah, no, I agree. And right now they, they seem to be in a rhythm with everything that they're doing. On the defensive side of the ball, we're talking to Seth Kaiser here in the uh, program. Uh, more about Steve Spagnuolo or more about the limitations of Lamar Jackson and Todd Monk and more about their bad game plan? What do you, what do you attribute to the success that you've had def- defensively? Um, yeah, I think it's tough to talk about one without the other. If I were to pick one, it would be Spags. Um, but I do think he exposed some deficiencies in Baltimore's game planning by he, he kind of dictated the flow of the game. And anytime you're an offense that's letting the defense dictate what you do, that's a problem. One of the things that people have talked about a lot since the game ended is what Spags did is he played, whether he had, you know, three linebackers in or they were in dime, he made sure to have the box showing plenty of bodies. And the, the, and to their credit, they did a really good job early stopping the run. And I think that messed with them a little bit. Um, and, and I think he helped dictate the, the formations and, and the play calls in some ways rather than the offense trying to dictate it to them. I also think the Ravens, it really just felt like they got into their own heads a little bit about the situation they were in and panicked a bit in terms of what they needed to accomplish um, rather than really just hammering away, lining up in power repeatedly, and even if you got stuffed a few times, just keep trying it. The Bills got stuffed a few times too, but they kept trying it. And eventually, they were able to find some cracks. Instead, really, the, the Ravens almost conceded it and let the Chiefs stick to nickel and dime where they are by far at their strongest. So I, I think... I would I would say it's you know most credit to Spags for showing really complicated looks on the back end, forcing him to look at multiple reads, all those things. But also the the, the coaches on the on Baltimore side, I, I think they really would love to have that game back. Oh yeah, I'm sure they would. And do you, do you get a sense that part of it was a lack of confidence in Lamar Jackson? In other words, when they didn't have immediate success, and they did in the first half, I think even in the first quarter, get that 15 yard run, uh, which was the only like decent run they had out of uh, you know from a running back. Do you get a sense that they're like, we're not running well and we, we can't play from behind the sticks, right? Lamar Jackson on second and 10 is a problem and third and 10 is a disaster. Was that what you felt like? Because, you know, they, they're like, well, let's try to get a chunk play here. We'll get to the run eventually, but we got to get moving. Uh, or was it a little bit of what I felt like they were doing is everyone talked about how they pummeled the Dolphins, they pummeled the 49ers, and they came into this game feeling like the better team, confident that they were the better team, and they set out to pummel the Chiefs. And they weren't trying to score one touchdown, they were trying to score two. And they expected to be up, you know, 14-3, 10 after one, 20-6 after two. And the longer the game went on and the more they weren't up, they were trying to get to the score they thought this game should be. I think that last part is what it felt like. 
Okay. Um, you know, there's only there's only so many things that we can quantify, of course. But you just all the things that happen with the game, we could talk about. You know, the silly gamesmanship with you know Justin Tucker that I mean has blown up way more than it should have. The guys yapping before the. Before the, the the game starts, and you know, someone getting in Justin Watson's face. I believe that's the same corner that Rasheed Rice pulverized, by the way. And MBS caught the game stealing catch against, which is unfortunate for that guy. But it really felt like the Ravens came in thinking they were playing the 2018-2019 Chiefs, and that team had some tough dudes on it. Don't get me wrong. But that wasn't that team's identity, right? Especially on offense. They, they were not a team that was going to grind it out and get into a, a brawl with you in the middle of the field and trade punches. And it, it just seemed like the, it, it just felt like the game didn't go the way they expected and they didn't quite know how to react. I think, I think defensively they did. I think they made some really good adjustments defensively. But they never seem to have the ability to recover on the offensive side of the ball. That makes sense. That makes sense to me. Uh, how worried are you about Noah Menehu? Um, very worried. Um, he's you know now they they played most of the game without him, and they still had a stellar defensive performance. But anytime you lose the guy who is arguably, and I would say almost inarguably, your second best pass rusher in terms of who can win one-on-one. And as much progress as George Karloftis has made at that this year, he's still not as good at it as a Menahu, especially when a who's rushing from the inside. That's going to be problematic because pass rush, like we've talked about a million times, is complementary. And when you lose one piece of that, it's not just about the one sack he might have picked up. It's about the, what happens on that play when no one else picks up that sack because that was the play he would have made. You know what I mean? You know, if you got a guy who wins 15% of the time, that's great. But you need a few of those guys, so then maybe you win eventually 45% of the time. Then you throw Chris Jones in there, and suddenly the quarterback is running for his life all day. You take out one of those guys that's just a few more plays where someone can get comfortable. And Brock Purdy's shown that he can sling the ball if he's comfortable. So it puts that much more pressure on the back end of the Chiefs. Now, fortunately for them, I think they're the best secondary in football. So that's very, very helpful for the pass rush. Last time uh, you were showing uh, some great breakdowns of like four ones and three twos and the different fronts that Steve Spagnuolo was throwing uh, at the Buffalo Bills. Uh, what did he do without a menu? What, what did they turn to uh, to try to combat not having him? You know, I didn't see them do anything funky with their fronts to compensate for him. I think I saw Tershawn Wharton's snap count go up. And I, I think they really were trying to, okay, these are the guys that we've got. These are guys that we trust. Let's, let, let's just keep doing what we do. And so they, they're going to have a lot of, like, I didn't see them do anything schematically that I thought was specifically to replace Amenahu. I'm curious what it looks like with two weeks to game plan, though, because as you and I both know, Spags is, it's a new game plan every game, especially in the playoffs. It's part of what makes him such a great defensive coordinator in the playoffs. So my assumption is we're going to see something different in terms of the fronts, especially because of men who's a, a, a lengthy guy who helps set the edge really well. I'm curious exactly how they're going to do that. But I, I didn't see them do anything terribly different. Um, I do think they sent more heat would be the one thing. But we always knew they were going to blitz the bejesus out of Jackson. Uh, time for our final four with Seth Kaiser. It's brought to you by the University of Kansas Health System. If you like to work out, if you like to 
to play sports. Uh, nothing more important than playing your best, uh, being at your best. Uh, what a sports injury slows you down. See the same experts that care for the Kansas City Chiefs. Talking about the University of Kansas Health System, you can request an appointment right now at kansashealthsystem.com slash sportsmedicine. Uh, let's start with this. When was the last time you were in Vegas? I've never been to Vegas. Never been to Vegas. Never. Um, so I take it, are you going to this game, by the way? I, I am not, no. I'm okay. going to watch from the uh, either the comfort of my home or maybe at my sister's house. Okay, very good. Uh, better quarterback, Brock Purdy or Josh Allen? Uh, Josh Allen, by a pretty substantial margin. Ooh, that bodes well as we uh, sit here right now. Uh, does Lamar Jackson win a Super Bowl? I don't know. Um, man, but you say that about any AFC quarterback who's not named Patrick Mahomes, and that's the problem that that, I mean, we, we're in a, we, we've really reached that point. It's, it's the Brady problem all over again for the AFC. And so I genuinely, I, if there's a year like Mahomes is hurt, but you, you also have a bunch of other great quarterbacks. I, I think he's, I think he's got as decent a shot as any of the other really good quarterbacks in the AFC. Okay. And finally, uh, Justin Tucker's antics, funny or just annoying? I'm going to go with yes. I mean, yeah, it's annoying. And the Chiefs and Kelsey and Mahomes tried to decide to handle it the way they did. I think it's also kind of funny, like how theatrical he was moving the ball a foot and then dusting off his hand. That's funny. Like, I get what he's doing. And I think Kelsey even said, like, yeah, I get what you're doing, but we're not really in the mood for this kind of shenaniganry. And that's it. And so I think it's kind of funny, and I think the, the, the entertaining thing about it is none of the players care remotely right. as much as the fans do. <laughs> yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Seth, you're the best. We appreciate it. Thanks so much. We'll talk again next week. It sounds great. Thanks for having me. There you go, Seth Kaiser, his chief of the North newsletter. Mandatory viewing if you want a great breakdown of the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, he does it and does it very, very well. So check it out, chief in the North uh, newsletter. We will take a break here in the uh, program. We come back. We'll wrap things up with the kicker. You're listening to the home of Super Bowl 58 Sports Radio, 810 WHB. We're almost done for the day, but there's just a few more things we'd like to share. But there's still more. Here's the kicker. Here's the kicker of this whole thing. On the program. But first, the good sense. End of the hour answer. Who holds the Super Bowl career record for rushing attempts? You got this pretty quickly. Uh, well, it'd be somebody who played in a lot of games mm-hmm. and probably in an era where they ran the ball a lot. Yep. So Franco Harris. 101. Second, Emmett Smith with 70. Franco had 31 more carries than the next most in the history of the Super Bowl. That's But Emmett Smith was on yeah. pace. To, not, not far, yeah, off, not far off pace because o- Franco played games. in four, right? That's true. And Emmett Smith played in three, so he wasn't far mm-hmm. off the pace mm-hmm. to get there. Yeah, 25 a game. That's about right. Yeah. Um, yeah, Franco Harris. And, and Riggins had 64. He was third. He only played in two games. Oh, yes. 38 of those were in one. Yeah, it was a different time. A little different then. When they used to pound the football. Well, the Bob Greasy won a Super Bowl going six of seven. Six of seven. Is that is that not much, are you telling me? That ain't much. Yeah, that is not much. It is uh, different. Um, 
And now look at like running back McCaffrey it was does six or seven on a good drive. Shot. McCaffrey has a pretty good shot yeah. to uh, to be in the MVP. What did I say? He's third favorite. Mm-hmm. He's the highest favorite after the two quarterbacks. But it's you know and people go. Oh, I'm tired of quarterbacks winning all. Well, I mean they're the most valuable. What do you want? Yes. You know. <laughs> like I'm, I'm tired of like you There's know. Never been a single position more valuable in any sport than quarterbacks are right now in the NFL. Oh, uh, I mean, how come they don't ever give the driver of the year to one of the guys in the pit crew? Uh, <laughs> the driver drives the car. I mean, that's basically what quarterbacks are. You know, you build the car and then they drive it. They're, they're the guys that that make it happen. Uh, that's just the nature of the uh, the position. What did Vince Lombardi say? It's a perfect team game. Except for the quarterback. He's too damn important. Thank God ours is best.